If you are a powerful, impactful, influential leader, it is your job to create clarity even when you cannot see. The only true competitor in the infinite game is yourself. The leader of the team has to go first. So where do ideas come from? Welcome to Nordic Business Forum Audio, the podcast that empowers leaders to change the world. I'm Heli, and this episode features Aswath Damodaran, a professor of finance at Stern School of Business. Soon, you'll hear his insights on valuation, investing, and teaching. The interview is a recording from Nordic Business Forum Helsinki in 2018. Enjoy. Damodaran, professor at the Stern School of Business in New York. Thanks very much um, for joining us. Uh, now, your latest book is about how storytelling and history is the key to understanding the valuations of tech companies. Let's just talk about some of the things that you've been focusing on. Two companies uh, in your work, Twitter and Facebook. Just give us an overview of your insights there. Well, in a sense, both companies started from the same space, which is they had lots of users and they're going to make some money off those users. Facebook has succeeded, Twitter is not. Every company is what I call a bar mitzvah moment, moment when you have to grow up. And some companies are grown up, they can show they can make money, and other companies have not. Facebook succeeded in its bar mitzvah moment, Twitter is not. So I think both the companies, especially Twitter, illustrate one of the dangers in companies focusing on users and subscribers and members, because that's been a focus for many companies. Let's get more users. Having more users by itself is not going to make a successful business. Facebook has succeeded. Twitter has not. Okay. You actually underestimated Facebook's value, though. Is that right? Systematically. And in fact... I would say the same thing about lots of successful companies. I would expect to underestimate the values of those companies as they succeed. Because if you look at a cross-section of companies, the most successful companies in your group are always going to do better than you expected them to. So I don't view that as a sign that I did something wrong. It's an indication that some companies are going to outperform. Okay. Let's get some insights on companies here in the Nordics. Do you have any thoughts on any interesting local examples, interesting narratives? Uh, maybe IZ or Spotify, Supercell? Well, I did value Spotify when it did go public. And I think it's a very interesting story. It's a story that I think is very similar to the Netflix story in terms of what it's trying to do to the music business. Because if you look at the music business over the last 20 years, the business itself has shrunk by about 50%. It's broken down. And Spotify, in a sense, has offered musicians a chance to kind of reinvent the business. It's kind of a mixed blessing. Because mm. if you're a musician, you know that you're now at the mercy of Spotify in terms of how much money you make. But you also know that there is no other place to go. So they're caught between a rock and a hard place. So I think Spotify is a very, fa- it's a fascinating example of how a business is trying to reinvent itself and the damage that it creates along the way. Mm. I mean, they would argue that they were actually trying to rescue some of the damage that was already being done by piracy, where artists weren't getting anything at all um, from from pirate plays. I think that was the phase in the 1990s when piracy was the first phase. And then you got Apple iTunes, so you shifted the business from selling records to selling songs and Apple iTunes. Spotify was the next phase of the business, which is, Rather than people buying their tunes of iTunes, they were now listening to the music on Spotify. So I think Spotify, I think, indicates the way in which we listen to music has shifted. We no longer buy our music, we listen to streams of music. 
So I think it's a shifting of the business model. And I think that it's a mixed blessing. As I said, it's good for artists, but at the same time, I'm not sure many of them are happy with what's happening to their revenues and income streams. Yeah, there seem to be some shifts going on, allowing artists to bypass labels and get their work exactly. up there. So we'll have to see what happens with that. Any yeah. other narratives from the Nordics you, you're I think interested in? One of the things about Europe in general is there are a lot of older companies living out their lives in kind of extended glory. I think one of the big differences between the US and Europe, in the US, I think the investors have been much more brutal with older companies saying, hey, your best days are behind you, time for you to wrap up and mm -hmm. get smaller. In Europe, you seem to get more, more life left in you, which is good and bad. Good because you can then extend the period for a longer period, but it also is bad because it sucks up capital that otherwise could go to younger companies. Mm -hmm. So across Europe, not just Northern Europe, I think you have companies that have lived past their due date. You're not willing to name and shame. Yeah, they, they're, they're, I mean, they're very close to walking dead companies, many of them. They would not be companies if their business models were tested as business models. But I think that's, it's, it's a nature of business in Europe. You tend to live longer, even though your best days might be behind okay. you. Okay, but you're not going to tell us which companies you think are really I, I, struggling I, there? I could say any of the big names. I mean, you could name all the 100 biggest names in Europe. I'd say half of them are past their due date. Okay. Right? Because the businesses have changed yeah. under them. Well, I'm an impartial journalist. I could get in trouble if I, if I go down to uh, hardly on one of them. Uh, would you like some water, by the way? We've got this great little gadget, which is able yeah. to... Absolutely bring yeah. some things to help us quench our thirst. Um, you've been writing books about investment strategies. I'd like to know, what do you think are the most common misconceptions or mistakes that people make when deciding whether or not to invest in a company? I think the biggest mistake they make is trusting history. So much of our investing is lazy. We look at the past and we extrapolate into the future. I mean, it's, I think, a trust and mean reversion that things will revert back to the way they used to be. And I think that might have worked in the 20th century in the US in particular because of the mean reverting economy. We live in a world where mean reversion is no longer a given. I think things are going to be different in the future. So anybody who invests based on the past and extrapolating the past, I think is making a big mistake in investing because you're gonna get some serious blowback from real changes happening in the global economy. But isn't that why a lot of people don't invest at all? because you, nobody really knows what the future might hold, if you're a more risk-averse person. But that's always been true, right? The risk-averse have always found ways to kind of avoid things, buy gold and put it under your bed. I mean, that's always going to be the case, but even the risk-seekers now have trouble because risk-seeking has historically been based on mean reversion, assuming that something similar to what's happened in the past will happen in the future. Yeah. And I think that makes investing a lot more difficult. I think this is the flip side of globalization. I think by being connected at the hip, we're gonna have a global crisis pretty much roll through every single year. So if you're waiting for everything to settle down, you could be waiting for a really long Forever. time. Forever. But on the flip side, you know, people that are successful in business now in their 30s, 40s, that were just maybe starting out in their careers 10 years ago at the time of the financial crisis, a lot of people are talking about this again now how can we learn from those mistakes and take risks but not be too risky and so it, we have that in our immediate history when, yeah. when we know what's happened in the past i think the reality is bubbles are part of markets i don't i, th I think they're a feature of markets not bugs so whenever you hear people talk about 
well, we're going to learn our lessons and not have this happen again. What they mean is they're not going to fight the last war again. There'll be a different war to fight. You almost have different lessons that come out of each bubble, but bubbles are part of markets. I think, uh, in fact, I think they're a healthy part of markets. When we think about the dot-com bubble and it bursting, we think of it as a bad thing, but it changed the way we live. Mm. When we think about the social media bubble and it bursting, it again changes the way you live. The, way, the question I often ask my students is, would you want to live in a world run by actuaries? Because we'd still be living in caves because we'd be measured, we'd be so measured and careful in what we do. So as human beings, we often have to overreach. We have to try for things that are beyond our reach. And that's what bubbles are created from, hope springing eternal. Mm, very positive uh, spin on things. I mean, we are living in a time where there's a lot of change. Uh, Trump, Brexit, rising trade wars, that feels like a lot of people are a shaky time. And that's why people are, are getting concerned at the moment. What is your best advice on investing in this era? I think you've got to spread your bets. You know? Fight hubris. Fight this notion that somebody somewhere out there knows the answer to things. Nobody out there knows what's going to happen. That's the reality we face. So the more you spread your bets, the more protected your investments will be. Okay. Um, you mentioned your students earlier, and it's obvious that you're a very good speaker, but we've been told you're actually a very popular teacher, and you've been voted the best teacher multiple times at your university. What do you think makes you so popular? I love, being I love teaching. I mean, in fact, when I, people ask me what I do, I don't describe myself as a professor or an academic or a researcher. I'm a teacher first and foremost. I tell people if I wasn't doing this, I'd be teaching high school. If I couldn't teach high school, I'd be teaching lower school. So to me, teaching is my passion. Finance and valuation are the side products of that passion. Why are you so passionate about it? What do you personally get out of it, out of that aspect of your career? Because you can change the way people think. And if our objective in life is to create change, I can't think of a better way of doing this than being a teacher. Do you have any good examples of where you've really uh, changed the perspectives of particular students or made an impact on a particular student? It's often scary of how small things you do can, can change a person's life. I'll give you an example. About two years ago, I was in Montreal and a, and a person came up to me at the end of the session and he said, I was a student in Iran two th uh, 10 years ago and I sent you an email with a question and you answered. And that answer changed my life because I decided wow. to go into finance, get a PhD and come to Canada. So I answer my emails religiously because I don't know what kind of impact a small, what I think of as a small thing can make a big impact in somebody's life. Even now, I mean, that's tough. I'm sure a lot of business leaders here can relate to those. Or oh, I'm just thinking of starting out doing this. And yeah. do you have any tips? And I'm this person studying here. It's really hard to, to, to respond. It, I, I always try and respond because I remember those people who did that to me when I was trying to get into journalism. And, and, uh, and most people don't respond. In fact, oh, you know, a lot of my students say, how can I make a big change in the world? Because everybody wants to make a big change. I say, start by making small changes in the with the people around you. You'd be amazed at how those small changes can ripple out and become big changes. And that's the biggest lesson I've learned in teaching is those things that I think are big changes actually have much smaller impacts than the things that I often do on the side, which I think of as small things. Yeah, I think a lot of people could probably learn from that more generally in business. Thanks so much for Thank joining you. us. Aswath Damodaran, professor at the Stern School of Business in New York. Thank you. Thank you for sharing your time with us. For more great business insights, listen to our following episodes. We would love to hear your thoughts on this podcast, so drop us an email at audio at nbforum.com. Until then, go make a change.